Good morning. Well, we did. We just passed a difficult anniversary. Uh, the anniversary of the terrorist attacks of 9/11. As we were singing that song, "Glorious," and singing to the Lord, you, He stands above the rulers of the earth. He is sovereign, and many people have wondered. I'm sure everyone has wondered why why He would allow that. Um, and not unusual that many people got angry. Tim Keller said something interesting about the sovereignty of God one time and thinking about um, people being mad at God allowing certain things. He said, if you have a God big enough to be mad at, you have a God big enough to have reasons for things that you don't understand. So it's a time to mourn, it's a time to grieve, it's a time to... um, remind ourselves of what's really at stake. It was interesting. Something happened in Jesus' day. Uh, a big tower fell and killed many people. And he said, do you think those people were worse sinners than anybody else because that happened? He said, I tell you no. But unless you likewise repent, you too will perish. So he didn't explain it. He just said, we need to get right with God. So that's why we're here. We're here to uh, remind ourselves of what God has to say and to uh, put our hope in Him and trust in Him. Let's pray as we uh, get ready to dive into His Word together. Father, today we are thankful um, for many things. Thankful for a beautiful day. I'm thankful for the freedom we have to gather in Jesus' name. Um, I'm thankful for the men and women in uniform who uh, risk their lives to keep us uh, safe, to guard our freedoms. Father, we pray for those who serve today that you will uh, help them, help them serve uh, as unto you and bless them. Those that are in harm's way, we pray, God, that you would uh, draw them near and protect them. And Lord, we're thankful most of all for our Savior Jesus, who gives us hope, who gives us life, who gives us freedom. And we pray now as we turn uh, to your word that you will open our minds and hearts to receive what you have for us and to bless your name and to hear with ears to hear and hearts to uh, respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible and you want to open it up to uh, the book of Hebrews, Chapter 10, we are winding up just a short series on the purpose of church today. I've noticed that pretty much everybody has ideas about church, what churches should be, what churches should do. Uh, But the reason we're in Hebrews 10 is because um, it's what God thinks about church that really matters, ultimately. You know, we we could get church right as far as people are concerned, and if we get it wrong as far as God's concerned, we fail. And we could get it wrong as far as people are concerned and get it right as far as God's concerned, and then we've succeeded, because it's it's what he thinks about it that matters. Um, So... The reason we're looking at Hebrews 10 
is this is one of the places, it's not the only place in Scripture, but it's one of the places where God lays out his priorities for his people, and that helps us know what churches are supposed to be and do. So we're in Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to read from verse 19 down through 25. Therefore, brothers, he's writing to fellow believers in Jesus, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Let me just pause there for a second and remind you, or if you don't know, explain that he is using Old Testament temple language to explain a glorious thing. That in Jesus, because he has died for us, because he has risen from the dead, We don't need to go to a special temple, and we don't need to offer animal sacrifices. Jesus, in his coming, has fulfilled that and surpassed that, so that because of Jesus and him dying for us, we are able to enter into the very presence of the all-holy God, though we are sinners. So, uh, because we have confidence to enter God's presence, verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, namely Jesus... Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I I see three priorities here for God's people. Priority number one is worship. Let us draw near. That is, let us draw near to God. Priority number two, partnership. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. All of these things that God wants us to do, he wants us to do together with one another. Okay, So the church is our team, and we do these things together, the good things he wants us to do. Now today we come to priority number three, and that is the priority of Friendship. Friendship. And just like partnership, it's woven throughout the passage, especially in verses 24 and 25, in that little word, us. Now, what's the difference between partnership and friendship? And I'm saying it like this. When we talk about partnership, we're focusing on the things God wants us to do. So partnership is helping one another do the things God wants us to do. All the things, some of which are listed here, but the New Testament is full of them. The things God wants us to do together as a team. When I talk about friendship, the focus is different. And these things are not mutually exclusive, but friendship focuses on something a little different. It focuses on helping each other become what God wants us to become. Partnership, helping each other do what God wants us to do. Friendship, helping each other become what God wants us to become. Well, why do we need to become something? 
When we first become believers in Jesus, when by the grace of God we finally come to the understanding that Jesus is our only hope for being right with God, when we accept what he did for us on the cross as as the only solution to our sin problem, and we ask him to forgive us, we ask him to give us the eternal life he died to give those who trust him, and to lead us to be our Lord, Uh, When we first say yes to Jesus, there are amazing changes that happen right away. Right away. Uh, The Bible says that when we put our trust in Christ, we pass from death to life. From death to life. Think about that. How big of a change is that? We pass from death to life. We move from being separated from God because of our sin to being connected to God. Think about that. No relationship with God excluded to relationship with God. We move from being an enemy of God, that's what the Bible says, because God in His holiness must condemn sin. He cannot tolerate sin if He's holy, if He's righteous. We move from being an enemy of God to becoming one of His children. So these are just amazing changes. He forgives us. He adopts us. He indwells us with his Holy Spirit. Okay, you see it in the book of Ephesians, actually in the whole first chapter. You you should take some time and just read through it if you haven't. It says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, and having believed faith, You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So there's these amazing changes that happen when we become connected to Christ, and they're huge. And here's the thing. They're all real, whether you feel any different or not. Okay, It's a change of identity that God brings about, and it's true, and it's huge, and it changes your entire destiny, whether you feel any different or not. Do you realize there are a lot of things in the universe that are true, whether you feel anything about them or not? And when God changes your identity, that's true. It's just a truth that God does that. All right, so huge changes happen when we first put our trust in Christ. Now, without detracting or taking away anything from any of that, The fact remains that when we first become Christians, we do not instantly become everything that God wants us to become. And if you have taken that initial step of putting your trust in Jesus, you know that by experience, that you are not yet what God wants you to be completely, okay? Uh, We know this. I, I mean, I know this about myself. I... I get frustrated at times. I get discouraged at times that I am not what I know God wants me to be. So, you know, at times it can, it can just get frustrating, get discouraging. But here's the thing. If, if we read our Bibles carefully, this is exactly what we should expect. That we're not there yet. 
Because the Bible describes what happens to us when we put our trust in Christ as a spiritual birth. Spiritual birth. Um, 1 Peter 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth. He's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. Well, birth is totally amazing. I don't know if you've all actually witnessed a birth. I've witnessed three of them. It is mind-bogglingly amazing, okay? But birth is not the end, okay? What happens when babies are healthy? What do they do? They grow. They grow, and they become something even greater. And that's exactly what needs to happen to every one of us. I guarantee you, everybody in this room still needs to grow. It doesn't matter how old you are. How young? It doesn't matter. You could turn to somebody who's been a Christian for 60, 70 years and tell them, you need to grow up, and you'd be right. Every one of us still needs to grow. 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. I'm not suggesting you'd say that, by the way. <laughs> like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. We just need to grow up. And here in Hebrews 10, we see the kind of people that he wants us to grow into. Actually, you can make it even simpler than this, uh, because Scripture tells us more than once that the standard of measurement we're all to grow up into is the stature of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we need to grow, because we need to become as kind as Jesus, and as righteous as Jesus, and as loving as Jesus, and as truthful as Jesus. And here in Hebrews 10, it spells out some of these things. Uh, It says he wants us to become sincere worshipers. Verse 22, drawing near to God with a true heart, sincerity, and worship. He wants us to become people who are full of hope. Hope. We live in a world that feels so hopeless. People all around us, they don't have hope. And Christians who know the truth ought to be people of hope. So we're to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He wants us to become people who help each other do things that are loving and good. Verse 24, stirring up one another to love and good works. And he wants us to become people who are consistently encouraging. Verse 25, meeting together and encouraging one another. Where when you interact with people, you are an encouragement to them. You're not there yet, are you? I'm not either. So here's the key question. How do you get there? How do you get there? What How do you become that kind of person? What has to be happening in your life for for you to become more and more and more like the person God wants you to be? Okay, can you see, can you see here that we need relationships to do this? Do you see it? It's all through here. We need relationships to become the kind of people God wants us to be. But what kind of relationships? Because we have all kinds of relationships, don't we? 
I mean, everything from casual acquaintances that you just happen to know their name, maybe, to, uh, you know, people you're closer to, you know, all the way to, you know, very intimate relationships. There's this whole spectrum of relationships. Well, what kind of relationships do we need to become the people God wants us to be? It's clear from reading this that casual acquaintances are not going to cut it. They're not going to do it. So here's how I'm going to say it. And I've said it before. And so you may, it may sound familiar to you. And I really hope it does sound familiar. Because here's the thing. This is one of those truths that we can all listen to and we can all nod our heads in approval and agreement and not do anything about it. So here we go. To become the people God wants us to become, we need close friends who are Christians who connect with us regularly. Now, I'm going to break that down into pieces, and we'll look at each piece. We need close friends. Close friends. Let me show you where I see this. Verse 24, it says, let us consider... And here is one place where there's something in the original language that's kind of hard to bring over into English. Now, you normally don't hear me make a lot of fuss about what it says in the original language, because if you have a decent English translation, you know what it says in the, English, in the original language. That's the whole point of a good translation. Okay? But there are times when there are nuances or something that just don't come across fully, and this is one of those places. The word consider is used one other place in the book of Hebrews. It's chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, consider Jesus. Or, as the NIV puts it, fix your thoughts on Jesus. In other words, to consider Jesus means to think about him. To focus on him. To study him, to give him your close attention. Okay, make sense? You get to verse 24 here in chapter 10, and it's the same kind of sentence, only here, the thing we're to consider is one another. That's what it says, consider one another. Okay, but if you translate it that way, it makes the rest of the sentence awkward. You end up with something like, let us consider one another unto the stirring up of love and good works. And English people go, huh? It's just, it's just, it, it's not very good English. But here's the point you got to see. The thing we're to consider is one another. In other words, we need to think about one another. We need to focus on one another. We need to give our close attention to one another. Why? What's the point? Well, what it means is we need to get to know some people so well that we know how to stir them up to love and good works. Okay, well, why do we need to know people well to do that? It's because we're different. We're all different. And what stirs you up might not stir me up. And what encourages you might not encourage me. 
So we've got to know people well enough. We've got to get to know people at a level that we can actually help them become the people God wants them to become. So you see, this is, this is, this is not just shooting the breeze with the guys about sports and weather. This is not just chatting with your girlfriends about your kids and what's on sale at Kohl's. See, this is dealing with inside stuff, right? I mean, it's talking about what motivates us. What motivates us? What, whether or not we have hope, whether or not our worship is sincere, what encourages us? And the fact is, let's just be honest, you are not going to interact at that level with most people. You're not. I mean, you've got to know some people well enough because there are some things you're only going to trust or you're only going to share with people that you have learned to trust. You know, trust is learned. And that what this means is you've got to have some one another's that you consider carefully. You've got to have someone and others. You've got to, this is what I mean by close friends. You've got to have people that you can trust with who you really are. Some people who know your deepest joys. Some people who know your fears. Some people who know your hang-ups. Some people who have the permission to ask you hard questions and give you a swift kick in the pants when you need it. See, who is that in your life? Who is that in your life? So we need close friends. Second, we need close friends who are Christians. Close friends who are Christians. Because this kind of friendship that helps us become the people God wants us to become, this is only going to work with people who share the same ultimate priorities and values. All right? Because we're talking about worshiping God together. We're talking about sharing the same hope for the future. We're talking about stirring up one another to love and good works as God defines love and good works. In other words, these friendships have to be genuinely Christian if they're going to really help us become the people God wants us to become. So if you're, a, if you're a believer in Jesus today, and if you're not, I'm really glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here, and I'm glad you're here checking it out. And I'm hoping you hear the good news in all of this, that... Jesus Christ offers you life and hope and forgiveness and connection with God that endures forever. But if you are a believer today, then you need significant friendships with other Christians. And let, let me just say this. Um, you know, maybe, and I know some people think like this. They think, well, I, I'm married, so my wife, my, my husband, they're my best friend, so I'm good. 
Okay, can I just encourage you? I mean, I really want your spouse to be your best friend. I'm totally, that's cool, good. <laughs> but I think you need other significant friendships besides your friendship with your spouse to become the person God wants you to be. And I'm especially talking about men needing other men and women needing other women. The reason for that is if your spouse is the person who holds you accountable and asks you the hard questions and gives you a swift kick in the pants when you need it, that's not a good dynamic, okay, in in marriage. It's not. I mean, when a wife is constantly asking her husband tough questions and reminding him and holding him accountable, we have a word for that. It's called nagging. And when husbands do that to their wives, that's called being a control freak or a jerk. You choose. Okay? So it's really healthy that your spouse is not your accountability partner. Okay? We need significant friendships. Now, it's true, it's very true that we need relationships with people who aren't yet believers in Jesus because we need to love them and we need to share the good news of Christ with them. In fact, Drew, last week, made that point very well. And if you didn't catch that message, go to philida.org and listen to it. But there are limits to those relationships because people who don't know Christ do not have the same priorities as people who do know Christ. And that's not saying anything mean about them. It's just, it's just the way it is. And that's why 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, if you don't know what a yoke is, we're not talking about that thing in an egg. We're talking about a piece of farming equipment whereby you harness two animals together, two oxen or whatever, so you can plow your field by, by basically forcing those two animals to stay together and go in exactly the same direction. So what this is saying is, don't be yoked with unbelievers means, don't be so connected to unbelievers that you're going in the same direction they're going. With the same values, the same parties. This is a big problem in our world today. Okay, it's good that we want to have relationships with unbelievers so we can tell them the truth. But look, if if they're going this way and Jesus wants you to go that way, you can't go in the same direction. This is not saying this is not being judgmental. This is just realizing that you cannot get to where you need to go if you go with somebody who's not going in that direction. Someone who's not following Jesus is not going to be able to be the friend you need to become the person God wants you to be. We need close friends who are Christians. And then the third piece to this, we need close friends who are Christians who connect with us regularly. Regularly. Now, verse 25 here tells us how to do verse 24. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Okay, how? Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So in other words, in order to consider one another, get to know one another, in order to be able to stir one another up to love and good works, we've got to get together. We just have to get together. We've got to connect regularly. We've got to encourage one another. In fact, there's another verse in Hebrews, I think it's chapter 3 or 4, 
It says, encourage one another daily. So, regularly getting together. And it's interesting to me. It says, don't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. I, that's interesting. You know, we're talking a long time ago, very earliest churches, and apparently some people were falling into the habit of not getting together. We can fall into that habit. Not getting together, not cultivating these friendships, not building into one another and getting to know one another. Why is that? Why is it so easy not to get together? And the, the common answer is, well, we're busy. Busyness, that's why we don't do it. We're just too busy. Yeah, I think that answer is lame. I really do. Because everybody's busy. And yet, even the busiest people make time for the things they believe are really important. I've had times in my life where I've been very busy. And I still manage to eat. (laughs) Eating is important to me. I make time for it. We make time for the things that really matter to us. So if, if busyness is your excuse, just realize that's an excuse. Now stop and think, well, why isn't it more important to me to get together with other believers and cultivate those friendships? Well, it could be a lot of things. could be laziness. You know, it's just a lot easier not to work on relationships than to work on them. It's a lot easier not to. I mean, sometimes we just think, you know, I just don't want to deal with that drama. It's hard work to cultivate relationships. It's hard work to, to get to know people so you can encourage them and stir them up. You know, it's so much easier to watch TV. Tim Keller said something interesting. He said, everybody says they want community and deep friendship. However, because community and deep friendship require accountability and commitment, we run the other way. It's like, yeah, I want community. Yeah, I want deep friendship. What? Accountability? Commitment? (laughs) Never mind. So it could be laziness. It could be fear. That's a big one. Yeah, I don't know that I really want other people to know what I'm really like. Because if they find out what I'm really like, they'll probably reject me. Fear. Or it could be pride. I don't need anybody's help to become the person God wants me to be. I don't need any help. I don't need anybody to challenge me. I don't need anybody to get inside my head and figure out how to stir me up to love and good works. I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much. Because I've got Jesus. And Jesus is all I need. That sounds so spiritual. And it's baloney. It's baloney. Don't say all you need is Jesus. Even though there's songs that say that, and there's, you know, people posted on Facebook, all I need is Jesus. It's not true. And the reason it's not true is because Jesus made you to need other things. Say, all I need is Jesus. Really? I need food. I need oxygen. I need sleep. Jesus is not food, oxygen, or sleep. Now, there is a sense in which you can say it truthfully, well, Jesus is all I need, because Jesus and everything he provides is what I need. 
okay, that's true, but that's usually not what people mean when they say all I need is Jesus. What they usually mean is my relationship with Jesus is the only relationship I need, and that's not true. You think about creation, you think about God creating the first man, and he's there in the perfect environment, he's got a perfect relationship with God, he's at the top of his career ladder, I mean, everything is perfect, and God looks at him and says, not good, because it's not good for him to be alone. So if you think all you need is Jesus, you need to read this passage again and you need to ask yourself a question. You need to ask yourself, why the Spirit of God, why the Spirit of Christ who inspired these words commands us, commands us to consider one another, how to stir one another up to love and good works, how, and to not neglect meeting together and to encourage one another. And all the more. This to me is really interesting. As you see the day, the day of Christ's return, the day of judgment drawing near, you might think, well, as we get closer to that day, well, you know, as we're growing, we'll need our brothers and sisters in Christ less. No, it says all the more. All the more. God says we need to make a habit of getting together with Christian friends who challenge us, who encourage us. And this is probably not talking about a large group experience like we're having right now, where we gather together for worship, but it's, it's talking about something smaller, because you really can't consider one another very well and stir one another up and encourage one another in a big group. Because you just don't, can't really get to know each other that well in a big group. Now, big groups do some things very well, like gathering together for worship. That works. I, I was in, uh, you remember that thing called the King Dome that they knocked down in Seattle years ago? I remember going to a Promise Keepers conference with like 40,000 other guys. And out of those 40,000 guys, I knew, I think, 10. And yet I worshiped with 40,000 men. I didn't need to know their names. I didn't even need to really be acquainted with them. I, we just needed to have the same goal that we're going to gather together and we're going to worship God. You can do that in a big group. But, but other things don't work so well in the big group, and that is friendship. Big groups don't do friendship very well. And so you need a smaller grouping to uh, get to know people better. You need a, you need a group that's small enough where you can get to know each other at a deeper level, you can learn to trust one another. And so now it sounds like I'm promoting small groups, and what a coincidence. We happen to be <laughs> doing sign-ups for small groups. And those of you who are skeptical and suspicious by nature are thinking, oh, brother, this whole sermon was just to get the program going. Now, the reason we have small groups is because of the truth that we need friends, close friends who are Christians who connect with us regularly. Now, you know, a program's a program. You can sign up for a small group, you can go to a small group, you can do the small group thing, and you can still not do this. Small groups are just an opportunity. But I want to encourage you to take advantage of the opportunity. You know, you... you 
there's nothing magic about it. You still have to work at considering one another and getting to know one another and learning to trust one another, and it takes time. It takes time. But the thing is, you need friends, and I need friends, to become the people God wants us to be. And don't you want that? Don't you want that? Don't you want to become what God wants you to become? Don't you want to get beyond where you are? Then hear this carefully. There is no becoming what God wants you to become apart from this. There's no becoming what God wants you to become on your own. You can't do it. If you're going to become the person God wants you to be, if I'm going to become the person God wants me to be, then we have got to invest in significant friendships with other Jesus believers who want that same thing and who can help us become that. So, what's your plan? What's your plan? You know, if you're already in a small group or you've got some really close friends, maybe this encouragement is, okay, we just, you know, we need to keep on it. We need to really grow deeper and get to know each other and what are the love and good works that we could stir one another up to. And if you don't have close friends, what are you doing? What's your plan for developing some? Because it's not just going to happen. I wish it did, you know, like in elementary school where you just, friendship is like spontaneous. But it's not like that when we get older. So if you're not in a small group, golden opportunity. Sign up. They're not starting this week, but the week following. We'll start a new series and and, uh, buy a study guide. They're seven bucks. No, we don't make any money on that. This is really not, this is not a scheme, okay? This is an opportunity, and I just encourage you to take advantage of the opportunity because we need that. All right, let's pray together. Father, I I just want to thank you for the people you've brought into my life who are my friends, who ask me hard questions and and give me a swift kick now and then and more than anything, encourage me. And Lord, I know there are people who have tried and it, it hasn't worked before and maybe they're thinking it won't work again, so why bother? Lord, I just pray you'd help all of us not give up because you, you have this in mind for us, Lord. You have this goal for us, and you have the friends out there that we need to find and connect with, and it might be somebody we totally don't expect. So help us be open to what you'll do in our lives so that we can become more and more the people you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.